one of you is the monster. Monster? We're British, you know. Hello, I'm Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. And we are... A, a very, very British, British horror. horror. Tonight we're going to be talking about the 1972 episode of Dead of Night called Return Flight. So, tell us about Return Flight, Paul. Okay, right. It's about a pilot who is on the return flight from, is it Hamburg? Yes. And he, not that that detail is important, I don't know why I focused on that. Um, and he at some point thinks they're going to have a collision course of what seems to be a World War Two Lancaster bomber, and uh, they 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 sort of avoid it. But then there's the, he gets back and logs the the problem, and it's, it's it's felt that perhaps he's been under a bit of strain because his wife has died not that long ago. And there's some. Um debate as to whether he actually did see yeah. um, another aeroplane or not. Exactly, and whether it's just the stress of of that taking its toll. Um, do you want me to do the whole plot? No, tell, tell us who wrote Return Flight. I okay. We start there. So this was written by um, somebody who may be familiar to a lot of the listeners, a certain person called Robert Holmes. Robert Holmes, yes. Who who was well known for a little tiny television series called, as you say, Doctor Who, and he contributed one or two of the slightly better episodes. Would that be a fair summary, or possibly underplaying it a little bit? <laughs> it's possibly underplaying it a little bit. Yes, Robert Holmes was the Stephen Moffat <laughs> of his day. Um, a few years after Return Flight, he was the script editor uh, in in the, the um, Tom Baker, the early period of Tom Baker, which is the Philip Hinchcliffe era. Philip yep. Hinchcliffe was the producer. And it's considered by, by many people to be the greatest era in the history of Doctor Who, long history of Doctor Who. Obviously, they're wrong because the Sylvester McCoy years were the best. But, you know, <laughs> the, um, the the early Tom Baker years, they were very good as well. And Robert Holmes wrote a lot of the great stories and, and, and the horror-tinged stories um, yeah. in, in that 70s um, period. Um, I think he's. I mean, the one that sticks out for me is Pyramids of Mars, which um, he because he 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 was scripted. He, he, he rewrote yeah, heavily yeah. somebody else's script, I think, for that one. Or something. Yeah, yeah. But um, there were there there were a, a considerable number of of them. Brain of Morbius, which was a rewrite of Terence Dix, rewrite of Terence Dix script, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, so he went on into the 80s case of Androzani Zany yeah Androzani um and at the end in 86 he was quite ill but still writing and yeah. um, he contributed a not very good Colin Baker story called Mysterious Planet and actually died whilst two writing as well he did do the two doctors yeah um he did the yes. There's a funny story about that. That we are in full-on Doctor Who mode in this episode, I'm afraid, <laughs> um, because um, he was engaged to write the Five Doctors, the 20th anniversary special, and he could not think of an idea. No. So um, Terence Dix, who never let the absence of an idea bother him, <laughs> did, did the um, the Five Doctors. But yeah. then that was successful, and Patrick Troughton particularly enjoyed doing it, and. Um, 
John Nathan Turner was happy to have him back. So um, the two doctors was a Patrick Charlton and Colin Baker team up. And Robert Holmes was the only writer who'd survived from the Patrick Charlton era to the Colin Baker era. So he was the natural choice to write that. Um, yeah. And that story is not bad, but um, Mysterious Planet the season after. Hmm. Rewrite the Crotons, effectively. Which is an earlier Robert Holmes Doctor yeah. script. Um, not good. And the last two parts, which are called The Ultimate Foe, um, they were. I think the first part is credited to Robert Holmes and Eric yeah. Saywood. Yeah. Because Holmes being dead, somebody else had to finish off his work. Kind of like the mystery of Edwin Drood, only in Doctor Who terms. Um, but but then Eric Saywood, in a, in a shocking twist, <laughs> he then quit. Um, so the very last episode, there was only a two a two yep. episode ser- serial, but the, the the second episode was written by Pip and Jane Baker, who yep. were not who were Doctor Who writers themselves, but not it's fair to say in the same league. No. And continuing this Doctor Who segue, Pip and Jane Baker actually wrote a screenplay for a Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee team up. And can you name it? Mm, no. It's <laughs> the answer. Night of the Big Heat, which was also oh, okay. also directed by Terence Fisher. So somehow ah. it's, so, somehow they managed in fact that's arguably a more significant science fiction contribution than their Doctor Who scripts. Yes. Um, Robert and Holmes also did some other things, unless you've got more to talk about Doctor Who and turn this into a Doctor Who podcast. Let's talk about Robert Holmes, the man. Okay. So, uh, effectively, he, he was he trained as... Well, he was was basically involved in the, in the army. Uh, He's from that era. Yeah. And then after leaving that, he trained to be a policeman. Huh? Uh, and then he began to get interested in writing while he was in the police force. Um, and certainly, I think he used to quite enjoy writing the, the notes for court, you know, court appearances and that kind of thing. Um, and then basically resigned that and started working for various newspapers. And then made his way into television. And uh, but when, apparently when his first break was writing a an episode of uh, Emergency Ward 10. Some kind of soap opera yeah. back in the early days of television. Okay, Probably so involving police. Because he also then wrote for sort of uh, Dixon and Doc Green, I think. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say Emergency Ward 10 was probably a hospital drama. It was, yeah. <laughs> but it might have involved police. <laughs> no, no, yeah, there's would have been police there somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so then, then then he was in TV and there was basically no stopping him. Yeah. And basically, uh, you can probably, pretty much any cult TV series, he would have probably written an episode at least. Of that era, he, yeah. he so he did things like Doom Watch, and Blake, Blake Seven, some good uh, Blake Seven, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was okay. Oh, is it not not the classic episode? No, he he, he wrote. Oh, I'm trying to remember how many he wrote now. He wrote one which was quite good, and one which was less good. And, and he he didn't actually work in film practically at all, did he? 
I mean, no. to, to be to be honest, <clears throat> Chip and Jane Baker have basically got him on cinematic credits because <laughs> <laughs> um, he ne- he never actually managed to work with Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee uh, in the cinema. I think uh, no. he worked. He, he contributed the story, i.e., his screenplay was probably rewritten by somebody else yeah. for a film called Invasion, yeah. which I did see years ago, and I think stars Edward Judd. Yeah, possibly. And, and I've got a feeling. It, it's, it, yeah, it's. He then reuses it as Spearhead from Space, ah. the first John Pertwee one. That's what? exactly the same, pretty much. I've uh, got a feeling Invasion had. Um, <laughs> Invasion's quite. You never see it on TV, possibly because the um, the aliens who are invading are actually Chinese people. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Yeah, yeah, that. yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure you just made that up. Uh, well, it was a very long time since I've seen it. But, um, Hang on, I've got, I've, I've got to check that. Now. <laughs> uh, right, go on, keep talking while I check that. Okay. Um, so, what am I going to talk about? Oh, um, he also Robert Holmes also did a TV miniseries called The Nightmare Man, which is yep. got Celia Rimri in it and it's quite fondly remembered David Warwick David Warwick yeah is that an actor because my dad's got a friend called David Warwick and that's what I'm thinking of (laughs) almost certainly a a different person to my dad's (laughs) friend Uh, you're right I'm just looking up the invasion Uh, tells the story of an alien spacecraft which crash crash lands on earth near a secluded hospital in the home counties which is the same plot as Spearhead from Space. It is, yes. The aliens who are humanoid and resemble Asians take <laughs> them to a rural hospital where they cause a force field to be raised, raised around the building. Yeah, so it's slightly racist. Yeah. <laughs> I did start Edward Judd. Yeah, so I have seen it. See? Yeah. I like Edward Judd, but let's not talk about him today. We'll talk no. about him some other point. Um, okay, well, let, let's go back to um, Dead of Night. So... Dead, dead were, we, were we talking about that? We did. You, we did start. Did we by, it we did point? start by okay. talking about about Dead of Night. Specifically, this was an episode of Dead of Night because Dead of Night was an anthology TV series, um, obviously inspired by the anthology, the classic Portman Two film, which we've mentioned before, also called Dead of Night, 1948, the yeah. the, 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 the film that Amethyst basically stole the format of, <laughs> yeah, and, and reused in all those uh, great great Amethyst movies. But um, the BBC, always willing to use somebody else's good idea, <laughs> stole the actual title <laughs> and um, just had this, like, um, it was a series of seven 50-minute um, horror stories that weren't linked yeah. to each other. Um, and the the only thing they really had in common was the, the, the opening uh, sequence, which is really good. It's like one, one shot of... So- of um, like a, peer, a point of view shot of someone running through the, the woods and their breathing gets more and more kind of desperate yeah. and then it and then suddenly stops, cuts to black and the title card Dead of Night comes up. It's so yeah. effective. Yeah. And then then then, then the, the the story the story starts. Um, now I said there were seven episodes of Dead of Night made. Only three remain in the archives because. Dead of Night sadly lost the BBC crazy junking everything lottery. So um, 
Doctor Who fans will know that the BBC decided they didn't really have space to keep the, the old videotapes of all their old programmes, and so they, they deleted more or less everything that they made up until the mid-70s. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> some might say it was a, an evil thing to do, but I think it... I mean, I would agree with that, but it was it was more just short-sighted incompetence. Well, I mean, if you think about it, all those things were they they were made to be broadcast once. I mean, they didn't really have repeats or anything. There was no such. home video. And there was or no, anything. no, yeah. So they, I mean, they, and and videotape was quite expensive. So that's that, so that's that was correct. the re- that was the reason for doing it was that they reused it. Although the BBC did give some thought to posterity because every single episode of Blue Peter has been preserved which is a relief isn't it Um, but tragically over 100 episodes of Doctor Who are still missing Um, 4 episodes of Dead of Night um, at least half of the Peter Cushing Sherlock Holmes series from the late 60s is missing lots and lots of other great stuff all all deleted presumed at this late stage missing forever yeah, and uh, one other thing to say about Dead of Night is that um, the stone tape was made by the same team as made Dead of Night. The stone tape is really another episode of Dead of Night, but of course it's uh, feature yeah, length and was exactly. broadcast without the, the without that no. credit sequence. But it's 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 the same stuff. It's, it's Nigel Neal's episode of Dead of Night. And if you want to find out about the stone tape, you can obviously listen to our our uh, episode on it where we ha- hopefully do not mention Dead of Night at all no <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that, 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 that was really that was that was, that was really good the same tape and that's the, that's kind of more remembered than the other episodes in the series although um, the Exorcism which was the first episode um, which stars um Edward Petherbridge, it's some kind of like a political ghost story. That's quite um, widely remembered as well. Um, return flight, not so, not 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 really so much. And in fact, um, the none of these episodes were available until the British Film Institute um, recently kind of reissued them. They had a big Gothic festival a year or two ago, and they they got yeah. a load of stuff. They did they did a fantastic job, really. Um, They've got a load of really interesting stuff out of the archives and released it again. And there's, there's, a, there's now a Dead of Night DVD, which is incredible. And they've done lots of other incredible DVDs. Mr. James stuff, yeah. obviously, we've talked about before. And, uh, uh, I mean, they did actually issue the stone tape themselves a long time ago, but that, now that DVD isn't by them. But, um, but I think they, they, they were the pathfinders there. So, yeah, well done the BFI. Boo to the BBC. <laughs> Of, of of the early 70s and, and before. Um, okay, now, I think oh, having covered all of that, let's go back to the actual episode we're yep. talking about tonight, um, Re- Return Flight. So you gave us a, a bit of a an outline of the setup. Yeah. And um, so you've got the pilot guy, who's, who's played by um, an excellent actor called Peter Barkworth, I believe. Yep. Um, he was also in Doctor Who. Peter Barkworth, yes, he was in, uh, he was in uh, the Ice Warriors. Yes, yes, um, and he was uh, a TV actor. Yes, um, yeah. but in 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 middle age, maybe late middle age, by the time of 
return flight. I mean, yeah. he certainly looks to be 50 or something like that. Yeah. And um, and his age is really important to the story because he is um, a former member of the RAF turned commercial pilot. But it's very important that he didn't actually serve in World War Two. He yeah. His character was, was slightly too young for that. So he obviously joined the RAF in kind of 46, 47 yeah. or whatever. And then he, he he makes allusion to having um, kind of lived his life in the shadow of the great heroes of the Battle of Britain and yeah. and the um, and and the rest of World War Two. I think he it's quite obvious that he's got a um, an inferiority complex. Um, yeah. And, and you know the guy who um, who who's investigating the near miss that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, with, with the other plane, um, um, Peter Barkworth, who plays Captain Rolf, by the way, Rolf, he yeah. um, immediately takes a dislike to this guy because he's, he's the, the investigator. He's got pegged as one of these RAF um, World War Two heroes, whom um, he's now bitter about. He was just like, yeah, yeah I know he's sort probably a squadron leader. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wants everyone to dance to their tune. Actually. It turns out he was quite right. The guy was a squadron leader, and he yeah. has got him, got, got him pegged. Um, but um, at the same time, he's probably being a bit mean because the aircraft investigation is, is basically um, Captain Roll's friend. Uh, I think it's called Frank, in, who, who who is um, like uh, obviously in charge of the airport or yeah. the airline or Frank something. And is Wally. yes. And who <laughs> and um, the air crash investigator who um, is I think is that Samuels who just um, yeah bend they both bend over backwards to get um, to to get Rolf off of this charge yeah or, or, and they they they're doing a lot of flack yeah from, they're not from trying the to the German yeah. air authorities yeah. yeah they're not trying to uh, be very easy for them to just say yeah he's a he's seeing things and hallucinating and a bit of a loony and yeah we'll blame it all on him and making the scapegoat and they don't do that well I think you know um, Frank's obviously his friend and he, he, he mentions this like um, not immediately that the guy's wife died two weeks ago and because you've, you've seen you've seen Rolf for a little while and he is in his um, airline uh, is it well airline pilot mode? He's suave, reassuring. He, yeah, he, he looks totally in control. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's like this is not a guy who is immediately apparent, racked with grief. But yeah. but then maybe the um, hostility and the bitterness starts to come through, and you think, well, perhaps he is, you know, um, yeah, a bit more complex than than, than he first appears. And, that, and that's that's I think it's really superbly played as well. Yeah, and acted out because he, because in 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 the uh, in the scenes where he's in the aircraft, like you say, he's very very in command, very in charge, and then there are some scenes later on where he's he's in his home, and this just the 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 sort of posture and everything changes slightly, so he he just becomes a slightly more sad old man almost well, I think so and, and, I think, and I think that, that, that and Frank's just, trying to be nice to him but, yeah. but he's trying to he's basically trying to avoid Frank and, and Frank's wife um, Rosalind but yeah. another old family friend 
Um, he said, like, I can't come over, I've got to take the car in for servicing, which is a really thin excuse, which Frank says, oh, I'll We've pick you up. We've all used it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> but it's quite, um, it, you know, if you, yeah, it, it doesn't wash and he has to go around, but he's quite gruff and grumpy, isn't he? And he, he's yeah. just got, like, I mean... He should have said an MOT, because that would have been a... Yeah, maybe. That's a bit more of a legal thing that you need to have done. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Although, was it in the early 70s? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, do they mate, have to have MOTs then? I don't even think they have to have licences. So they could do what no. they want and cars on the roads. Possibly I'm overestimating yeah. the... Uh... I, don't, I don't think cars had to have brakes either. <laughs> I, think just, I think that was optional. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a twist, because you start to think, yeah... He's gone yeah. a bit doolally, and he looks out of his window and he sees a Lancaster bomber, doesn't yeah. he? And he's also getting these snatches of um, uh, radio. Radio, talk. yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, he, he um, so going deeper into his kind of suffering, we hear from Rosalind, I think, um, or, or in conversation with Rosalind, that um, Captain Rolf. Was uh, actually his um, his late wife's second husband, and yeah. her first husband was one of these RAF heroes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously, it all becomes kind of clear. And then it was kind of well, it wasn't really that happy a, a marriage. They were together twenty years, but he was always in the shadow of um, of the hero who died, yeah. the first husband. Um, and but no, uh, but the real twist, which I. Um, you kind of don't see coming is that he Rolf is then cleared of yeah. um, hallucinating. It's just like no, uh, actually, it was yeah. a plane. There was yeah, a plane. There was, it was a there's a, yeah, it's a there, there's a plane, isn't there, that, that was off its um, predetermined flight path. Yeah, and, and which it, which appears to fit roughly. And the Germans, the, the flight controller, like we're really sorry, yeah. we sorry yeah. we doubted you. It's all it's all. Uh, and the aircraft investigator is like, well, that's it. He's completely yeah. vindicated. Yeah. Although Rolf, curiously, it doesn't react <laughs> with glee to being vindicated um, because he, no, I think he, he's beginning to realise that, that there's something going on. Yeah. But um, then he gets phoned up and says, uh, "Can you do another? Can you do another flight?" There's a um, pop over to. Um, I think they had to pop back to Hamburg yeah. to pick up um, a, a load of football fans who are coming yeah. coming to England for a, for, for a match. And then you get some because um, we've had like cockpit scenes and we've yeah. had some um, a lot of technical stuff about flying. Yeah, Much there, more there is a, there is get. a lot of technical stuff. I think I think that's Robert Holmes in science, isn't it? Yeah, you can, it, it's, you, you're almost you're almost thinking. I know this. You can see why he was a good science fiction yeah. writer because he was really engaging with the um, technicalities of flying. Because you know, usually they, these writers they wouldn't really research this, no. would they? <laughs> just go, uh, just move the joystick, waggle the joystick around a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's flying. <laughs> but there's lot, they do lots of the checks and, and all this sort of stuff, and mm. it's the sort of thing that now that you, if you, if this was made now, you you wouldn't have any of that. That would all be cut out. Yeah, but it, it, it actually it's got a really nice kind of. Uh, well, rhythmic filter. I, I think well, it's really important. Yeah, but there's also there's also a bit. Um, I thought actually, when they're doing the, the pre-flight checks in, in this second flight, there's 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 it, it somehow manages to make you feel a little bit 
a little bit tense and a little bit bad because you sort of you're sort of thinking well and you're meeting the passengers as well and and they're quite likable the Germans yeah. and the, the, it, the British salesmen and and also you get the the stewardess and and and, and you kind of think uh oh. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> yeah. but I think in those scenes yeah. with the pre-checks, you're almost expecting something to go wrong, and and or something to yeah, to, yeah. I, really, to not be right with that. I think and there's it, a lot and of it doesn't, which is which I think is, well, is this good is, because I mean this is a slow burn because yeah. there's there's no real charismatic hero to follow. I mean this is this is really not like Doctor Who at all. No. Um, from, from, from that it's not a very it's not a very Robert Holmes script actually. Uh, uh, no, I mean it's the, 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 the character stuff. is nicely drawn, but yeah. he's not um, he's not a hero. It's it this is this is a uh, yeah you, you don't I mean I don't know I'm getting to the same kind of age of him, him actually, but he's not one you necessarily really <laughs> empathise and sympathise with, <laughs> um, and. That, I mean that. So you're saying that no one can sympathise or empathise with you, Chris? I am essentially saying that. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I'm just saying he's he's not. I mean this this is this is not um, a tale of daring do or whatever. No. It's a tale of a man disintegrating. Yeah. And and um, what I was reminded of in in that only in that aspect was. Um, more the M.R. James style, particularly um, Whistle and I'll Come to You, where, where, where you've got uh, the Professor Parkin in, in that yeah. slowly, his rationality and yeah. his aptitude is all slowly disintegrating because of this supernatural. And again, in that, Parkin's not necessarily instantly likeable in that. No, it just, it just reminded, it reminded yeah. um, there's all the technology, which has nothing to do with M.R. James, he never touched technology. Yeah. But, um, but as a ghost story, I think this is very much in that classic mould. And it's totally different from the other two surviving episodes of Dead of Night, which I say um, exorcism is very political. And yeah. um, uh, the other one, A Woman Sobbing, is a uh, feminist, really a feminist ghost story. So they're, they're, they're much... They, they feel different. They feel yeah. much edgier and... Um, <clears throat> You, you know, um, they're more like a like kind of like a Ken Loach or a Mike Lee ghost story kind right. of. Whereas, whereas this is a, this, this one, a return flight strikes me as classic ghost story. This is a classic yeah. ghost story. And and as the uh, as the second flight starts, um, Captain Rolf starts hearing the radio snatches, and then he starts hallucinating uh, um, that he's on a Lancaster he's, bomber. Yeah, he's in the cockpit. Yeah, and and you get um, over the radio. There's several uh, members of the Lancaster crew all talking. Yeah. You get poor old Humphrey, who's had because this this Lancaster has had um, is trying to get home after yeah. obviously um, it, taking a few some, hits. Yeah, and, and like I say, there's Humphrey who's uh, singing on the radio because he's had off. Well, he's had his legs blown off. He's obviously yeah. been got. And um, then well, they've and, obviously and. So I got the impression that obviously they'd, they'd uh, I thought that maybe they'd, they'd sort of boozed him up a bit. So no, morphine. It says morphine. Does yeah, it? Dosed him up on morphine. Yeah. The, and then they kind of he's not going to last long, and he doesn't yeah. kind, kind of thing. Um, but and then the, the radio story is 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 um, them trying to get 
home, the engine's failing, yeah, and, yeah. And, and whatever. And um, the actual um, the actual hallucinations seem to me to be more just generally I'm on a Lancaster rather than those yeah, kinds of scenes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you've got basically Captain Rolf then trying to hide that he's having these hallucinations. Yeah. Um, and and trying to um, appear the suave, totally in control pilot. Yeah. And then when he, he he pops he pops out to the back of the plane, and then there is like a, the lights go out and everyone goes woo and yeah. starts moving around. And then he goes, oh, it's absolutely nothing to worry about in that classic reassuring pilot's voice. He goes back to the cockpit. Oh, we've lost all our computer systems yeah. and our communication systems. We're flying. Yeah. The weather's bad. We're flying blind. Yeah. And then. The kind of the he actually does uh, he Captain Ralph he actually passes out doesn't he? It, it suggested because or 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 faints momentarily. Yeah, well as, as part of, yeah yeah possibly, yeah in that bit as well. because um, I mean but he he's he's you see I, I think by the time we get to this stage this which is very interesting I think he's suicidal I I I I, I think he knows the way this is going. And he's yeah. perfectly all right with it, um, because you know what what he does then is he takes over con- control and says, and and his co-pilot says um, that we should go back to Hamburg, and he just yeah. says, no, 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 safer to keep to the, the this, course. But there's this um, the the airfield. Well, that that that, 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 that that's exactly right because um, one of the snatches, the earlier snatches of radio, yeah. um, he's he, he's heard. As mentioned, an airfield, and then um, Frank and Rosalind, and yeah. they're trying to track it down, and it's like, oh, it's this old airfield uh, yeah. um, where they used to fly bombers from. Yeah. And, um, I, there's, and there's, there's no there's history ne- of. There's um, never proved that that's the airfield that um, his wife's first husband flew from. No. There's kind of an implication that there's some kind of link, but I think, I think it's more. Just his own feelings of inadequacy and um, you know, bitterness and and, yeah. and and depression. It must be depression that's, that's causing this relation. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's specifically that he's been haunted by the uh, the other husband. Right. No. No, I didn't get yeah. that at all. Yeah. Exactly. So um, and well, basically, to cut long story short. He crashes the plane. Yeah. Kill. We think probably well, kills it, everyone on board, and it, he crashes it basically at the airfield where that yeah. Lancaster bomber it, crashed. Doing the same manoeuvre that the Lancaster was doing to try and land. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's the end. And you think, well, that's a good ghost story on one level. And on one level, it's a sad story about an yeah. older guy. Um, suicidal, killing himself, and taking a load of people with him because he's an yeah. airline pilot. Yeah. So apparently, I I looked this up because it, it bothered me a bit that the um, that that no one intervenes with with what he's trying to do in the in the cockpit. Say, look, Wait. what are you what are you doing? This is stupid. We're going to crash. Well, the co-pilot does argue with him, but it does. Yeah. And I did look this up, but apparently, the commander or captain of the the, the aircraft. They, they 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 do take it in turns flying the plane, so the yeah. co-pilot is equally capable of flying the plane. Um, 
But apparently, if he takes an action that, that jeopardizes the safety of the flight, intentionally or otherwise, um, there, there, were, there are now something called the crew resource management rules, which allow the co-pilot to override the, 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 the commander, captain, and take control of the air, aircraft. But it's interesting that that wasn't in place at the time this was written. And it, it does say that the lack of this, and, and due to the hierarchy, perceived hierarchies in the cockpit, um, apparently led to several air crashes where um, the co-pilot was was too busy acknowledging the fact that the, the, the captain was in charge and didn't take over, which might explain why. Because I found it a bit odd that that even though he was clearly doing something that was going to jeopardise everyone, that nobody stepped in. Well, and even even he shouldn't have been flying. He shouldn't have been no. flying. I mean, it's two no. weeks after his wife's death. Yeah. And he was saying, oh, I'm fine, and giving that yeah, um, yeah. kind of stiff upper lip. And yeah, it's, camaraderie it's, sort it's of thing, yeah. Basically, his friends, um, and in the great uh, RAF heroes <coughs> of yesteryear who are now in charge, and who he complains specifically in charge, they just don't realise quite how bad he is, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's what kills them as much as the, yeah. the, 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 the co-fight and stuff. So, um, and, 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 of course, the German wife-swapping as well. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, I think that, that, that's a wife-swapping joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> quite, quite, that's quite a Robert Holmes thing. To quite, in, quite, quite a good joke, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, that, 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 that's really it. Apart, apart from, I have to say that um, in his Doctor Who work, the work I'm familiar with, he doesn't manage anything as um, uh, sophisticated as this. This is a really no. good piece of writing. Obviously, yeah. his Doctor Who writing is really good in other ways, really interesting and exciting. But this, this, this but is it's, a it's real writing, character study. Which it's obviously, there's for, no place it's writing for, for different, or, or, yeah. different audience, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And, and again, when he was writing stuff with the, doing the script editing, that was all done quite, quite quickly. There's lots of sort of time pressures. I, I, I imagine with this, there was it was something he did a bit more leisurely, perhaps. Not, I mean, not. Still, there would have been deadlines and everything, but yeah, I, I, th I think they must. It must have been like that because um, this this is kind of um, this is serious drama. Yeah. I think this, this counted as as a serious BBC drama, and I, I think the science fiction stuff that he did at the BBC, particularly. Never, never counted to the BBC like that. No, that, that was light entertainment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I think he would have had more time. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question for you. Um, obviously, they, they, this is left a little bit ambiguous as to what exactly has happened. So, do you think it is an actual ghost of a Lancaster bomber? Yes. Or do you think that it's just? He's just part of his breakdown. No, I, I think I think there's the supernatural ele elements. Or I, I mean, I think in purely narrative terms, it, it is a ghost haunting. Obviously, the subtext. Yeah. Um. That that and and he's kind of he's kind of very appropriate with this kind of haunting. Um, and you can see how he kind of embraces it. That's why he crashes the plane. But um, I, I, I don't think I don't think it's um, 
in in terms of the plot, just a breakdown. I think it's kind of representative of one. If, right. you, if you see what I mean. Um, I, I don't. I don't think this is a kind of turn of the screw style. Is he just imagining it, or is there really a ghost kind of thing? Yeah. I think. I think there is really a ghost. Yeah. Um, see, see, but, I, but, I didn't think that. Uh, it, it, to me, it was that it didn't really. To, well, what I, made I, the, the ghost uh, bit wasn't convincing to uh, me, and uh, it, 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 it was I, the radio I conversations just, that, that convinced me because. I, th- I think they were really. That's really I guess nice they were quite writing. Detailed, really I suppose, intricate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it just it just struck me more as a bit like what you were saying with a um, as as an actual way of a physical way of of showing his kind of depression and breakdown, if if you like, yeah, rather exactly. than actually being a ghost. It's like a manifestation of that. Well, breakdown. And and the interesting thing I think is. It's quite interesting because you've got right at the beginning. You, you've obviously got him being quite jealous of all those um, flying aces that, that, that got remembered mm-hmm. and everything. Well, of course, what happens is he does something whereby he is also a, a, a pilot who will be remembered for something. Well, that, that's yeah, right. okay. He's, in this case, it's killing the entire passengers and, and, and crash landing a jet but yeah I did wonder about that that, that, that whether that was perhaps I think that's, that's in part, his mind I think that's even, even if it wasn't conscious I, I wonder if he was I th- I'm sure I'm sure it is absolutely I'm sure it is yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's part of his motivation for taking all those people because I think he does actually, I think he does intentionally crash the plane yeah and the, the manifestation of the uh, of, of the, the bomber is just a way of um, him putting a, him subconsciously putting a well a better spin on it rather than like I'm just an idiot and gonna crash a plane. He he's sort of he's sort of putting himself in that role a little bit. I think with um, yeah with with ghost with ghost stories it's sometimes hard to say what well, is the ghost meant to be real, especially when it has a massive um, sort of impact like 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 this. Um, but yeah, and obviously it's ambiguous because we 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 each um, reached a different conclusion. So I yeah. would advise everyone to watch it for themselves. Yeah, and I've got uh, another parallel. I'm going to go outside of Doctor Who now and say, um, doesn't it really remind you of Sapphire and Steel, particularly Adventure Two of Sapphire and Steel, yes. when it starts? Going all World War Two-y on him, yeah. And because um, oh, Saffron Steel is incredible, and that um, the Adventure Two, which is the one everyone remembers of Saffron Steel, was the haunted station with the World War One. No, so, everyone remembers the Man Without a Face. That's the one everyone remembers. Really? Yeah. No, that's not the one I remember from my youth. That's yeah. um, that, that's a good one too. But the one I remember is with the um, the 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 the, um, the, the World War One. That's soldier, the best one. Soldier yeah. whistling. Um, Pack up your troubles. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the other Yeah. Yeah. Um in fact that's got pilot stuff as well, hasn't it? They Yeah, yeah I'm the, sure yeah, Steel's yeah. possessed by a pilot at one point. Yeah, he might be, yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've watched that. Um and I think that came that later. later. Yeah. yeah. So seven ninety that would be nineteen seventy nine, I think. It wouldn't surprise me if um if, there was, if this was a direct influence yeah. on, on Sapphire and Steel, because you can you can see, it. yeah.
And of course, in Sapphire and Steel, there is a there's a scientific explanation for the ghosts, which is um, not really scientific. It's, it's not scientific at all. <laughs> well, it's science fiction, not horror. So it's no. it's time uh, time going wrong, yeah. isn't it? And time loops and it's time, time demons and breaking things. into reality. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So not actually ghosts, but it's effectively no. the same thing when yeah. it comes down to it. It's a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, do you have anything else to say about return flight? Um, no, I mean, just just as a couple of two more Doctor Who connections. Of course, Doctor Who. <laughs> um, and also other cult yeah. TV show oh, connections. No, please, please so the co-pilot was played by Dennis Lill. Oh, Dennis Lill, who yeah. is is probably a name who's familiar and it, to lots of people who watch seventies uh, TV of the cult kind, although um, uh, he, he, I think he's someone that has done a lot of TV work, but he, he's probably, he's one of those people you probably, if you saw him, you'd know who he was, but not necessarily. Not necessarily from this, because no, you mostly see, you see the side with... of his head. Yeah. Um, he's he's genuinely, generally more, more often seen with a moustache, I think, in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, bald with a moustache. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, you he know, hair. he he plays Bob Kane in the the Michael Keaton Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, he's. I'm looking at his that's credit. obviously his biggest role. I, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at it, a massive, massive. But yeah, movie. so he was oh, in, he was in Survivors, and he he was in loads of things. He was, also he was in two separate Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Awakening and Image of the Fendel. Yeah. Down yeah. So yeah. So he 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 was a prolific kind of TV actor. Um, and the other one is is Rodney Bennett, who directed a, a few Doctor Who's during the seventies as well. Was the director of this? Uh, I've got a feeling he directed Ark in Space. Was one of them. Ark in Space. He yeah. did. He did direct that. Which was uh, one that was rewritten by Robert Holmes. Yeah. Rodney Bennett. Yeah. yeah. Um, t- and I think he, he did a couple of others, or not. Uh, the Mask of the Mandragora is on it? Yeah. Uh, Mandragora. Mandragora. Really? Is it really? Yeah. I said Mandragora for however many years, and now it's Mandragora. Yeah. You'll be telling me it's... You know, this is, yeah. <laughs> because, because apparently you don't say Diplodocus, and, and it's Diplodocus. Diplodocus. Yeah. It's not a real dinosaur, anyway. No, yes, it is. It's Brontosaurus that's not real. I thought it was the other way. No, no, um, no, no. Are you sure? Yep, absolutely sure. Okay. Now, <laughs> <laughs> one of them's not real. Yeah, one of Brontosaurus is. is not real. Um, and I think I want to say when I'm looking at IMDb that the picture for Dead of Night is actually wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I was wondering that. It seems to show a, a zombie, which. Yeah, and it seems it's a special makeup effects by Tom Savini, which okay. I'm pretty sure is not <laughs> accurate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, someone needs to go and fix IMDb, but yeah. it's not going to be us. So, uh, um, there's a special treat for you, Paul. But no, there was one more thing I just wanted to just briefly, okay, no, briefly okay. mention about this. Was um, the obviously being a TV series for the BBC probably had no budget whatsoever. Um, yeah. What did you reckon to the, the way it was filmed and shot? Brilliant, really atmospheric. Because I think it was really well done, given that 
um, they have minimal anything. The, the, the and there's a lot of lot of use of stock footage as well for various things. But the cockpit is is very minimal, but still manages to work. I was actually quite surprised um, when at the end the crash investigator at the site of the crash. Yeah. There's actually a real burnt out plane behind him. Yeah. No, it must have. Been, they must have gone to like a fire safety training place yeah. or yeah. something like that but yeah. it, I, I thought that was really, yeah, really I, effective I thought, I thought that was that was good so um, you, I mean it, obviously you're right slightly low budget um, yeah. all the interior stuff was filmed on video which I hate but yeah. you get used to uh, but no I mean you wouldn't say there was a bad the, the, piece the, of acting writing or Directing or visual effects or, or anything. This is very high quality for British TV and yeah. the, I mean, the only thing that, that, that I think maybe wasn't as effective is the when he's having the hallucinations. They they do use the the sort of slightly misty. Oh uh, yeah, the, the sort of soft, circle, that's, that's the soft focus stuff. Soft focus, and yeah. It, it, yeah, and I wasn't too sure that that. I guess it adds to that 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 vagueness about. Well, I mean, whether he's hallucinating it or genuinely seeing something or like I say that's what really strongly reminds me of Sapphire and Steel but yeah. obviously it didn't remind me of um, like The Godfather or something with brilliant yeah, cinematography yeah. <laughs> it was just like oh yeah but, you know, I think that's why the, the, the radio <laughs> message is so very effective because it, it gives you a real picture of what's going on without having to show anything whatsoever which, which, which is which, brilliant which is writing just brilliant. yeah so he's, he's, I thought it was really well written within Knowing the limits of what they were able to do, and you know. The, they, I remember um, this, this old saying. I wonder if it's still true. Probably not as true as it used to be. Which was that um, the stage, theatre is an actor's medium. Yeah. Cinema is a director's medium, and television is a writer's medium. Yeah. And I think with you know Robert Holmes' Return Flight, we talked. We we focused heavily on. Nigel Neal for the Stone Tape, and uh, even Stephen Volk when we did Ghostwatch. I think you can still yeah. see there's a there's quite a lot of truth yeah. in that. And yeah, I uh, think you're right. We don't tend to talk about screenwriters when we talk about films, but we go heavy on them when we're talking about the uh, the TV. Anyway, let, let's wrap up. We've got a good bit coming. Okay. So so, so um, <laughs> uh, ask the questions. Ask our yeah. special questions. So I just have to say that Dennis Lill was in the the, the TV series Twenty Four Live Another Day. Okay, that was a bit random. That was a bit random. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, so obviously, did you like this? Yep, I did. Uh, I have to say that it's probably, in my view, the weakest of the three Dead of Night episodes, but it's still great. Yeah. No, I, I really liked it. The only thing is I, I wasn't convinced it was a ghost story, but I still really liked it. Well, yeah. Uh, but then this isn't this isn't specifically a um, a ghost series. <coughs> it's not. I mean. Okay. No. Um. So uh, what else do we normally ask? Oh yeah, do you think it uh, holds up today? Yeah, yeah. Well, up to a point. I mean, I don't think modern audiences would be would be fooled. This was contemporary, but um, it's still it's, it's still good. Yeah, I, th- I think I can see it working actually as a, as a stage play. When we were talking about earlier, with do you know? Um, I think I think it I know would. that episode of Dead of Night, <coughs> the Exorcism has been 
revived in the last few years as, right. a, as a stage play. And do you know, Paul, if, if you if you want to come in with me as a theatrical <laughs> angel, I think we could we could mount a production of this. Yeah. It would be quite good. I I, th- I think it it holds up on account of the writing and the acting. I think the 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 production is is possibly. Although they do the best of what they can, it's very it's very dated. Well, now. and TV does age faster yeah. than cinema, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. And and did did you find it scary? No, no, no I thought didn't. it was entertaining, but not maybe not even entertaining. But I thought it was a very re- re- rewarding and sophisticated portrait of a of a of, of, of uh, a depressive episode. But yeah, uh, not it wasn't really that enjoyable. But then this kind of thing isn't really no. meant to be enjoyable. It's not. At the same time, it, I didn't feel totally sort of bummed out by it either. No, no, that's right. So I, I think it's quite successful in that sense. Okay, so you've got something really interesting and exciting and different that you want to talk about. Well, while, while I was waiting for you to arrive at uh, our, our studio this evening, I thought I'd do a bit of googling. Um, and I found... Stop pretending you did that in about 10 minutes. You, you've been doing it for hours trying to find something. <laughs> um, I found a review of one of our old podcasts on a, a Dennis Wheatley uh, forum. Okay. Now, this, 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 this is... Oh, a, this, this, this is a... Yeah, this is a, a film we didn't much care for, is it? So, this, okay, go on. This is, um, this <laughs> is from library.dennisweekly.info and this is a post by... A user called they could be listening. Darren. Um, yes, hello, Darren. I'd like to say, well, I'll say thank you for for, for, for this review because um, I, I, I'm not sure we've got too many re- reviews. Certainly not reviews um, that uh, uh, this is kind of this is not posted on our iTunes or anything. This was just posted for other Dennis yeah. Wheatley fans to talk about our podcast about the Devil Rides Out. Um, I'm going to read it to you, and you've not seen it, so we're interested to see how you react. A new UK podcast series has started called A Very British Horror. It is similar in scope to Professor Cushing's Crypt of the Macabre, which is my favourite podcast series, very funny, in that they only discuss British horror films. You can access it via... And then it's a a, a link to um, the blog, actually. Okay. Um, episode 7, 23rd of May 2014, discusses the film The Devil Rides Out. They mention DW in passing. I didn't really learn anything new from the podcast, although one of the hosts talks about the chickens used in the film. <laughs> the black cock is actually female. It is a brown hen. And the white hen used in the film is definitely a Sussex white. Yes! <laughs> When the presenter has finished discussing the chickens, his colleague comes out with a comment that made me laugh out loud. It is worth a listen just for the joke. Being Do you remember what that was? No, I don't. No. I don't. <laughs> uh, he goes on. Being TDRO fans, you will know more about the film than the presenters, though possibly not about the chickens. And some of their views annoyed me a little. However... <laughs> I gave the follow-up show a listen about Night of the Demon and I enjoyed that show a lot more. Maybe because I got used to the presenters. If you like British horror films and these two lads clearly love them then you might enjoy this series. Regards, Darren. 
Yeah, that was that was that was quite nice, I think. Yeah, I think that was. A good, and, and he good picked movie. up on the chicken thing, so he, he's he's he, he's brilliant in my book. He was he 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 thought basically we didn't know anything about Dennis Wheatley. Fair enough. <laughs> to be fair, no, we uh, <laughs> don't particularly. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you you do know about your chickens. But yeah, no, I'm glad he picked that up. And, and he uh, he did once 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 we stopped annoying him. Started yeah. to like us, yeah. and I, I think I think that that is you know that happen, that's what happens to me in real life if I'm lucky. Yeah. People don't always get past the annoyed stage. But, you know, it's taken me about twenty years. Yeah, well, you reckon you're over that now? <sighs> Just about. <laughs> yes. You have your moments. <laughs> yeah, I certainly do. And um, he mentions at the start there, Professor Professor Cushing's Krypton Macabre. Yeah. Okay, however you want to say it, which is an um, American podcast about okay. Brit- British uh, horror films. I might have to give that I a have, listen. I have listened to that before, and, and um, I, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the really good ones. We, we don't tend to listen to other podcasts about this subject matter just because we don't want to inadvertently copy other people. <coughs> um, but I will listen to stuff if I know we're not covering it or we've already covered it or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. Yeah, I've done and, that before. And, and, and yeah, I, the, the, those are the Professor Cushing's Krypton Macabre, 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 <laughs> those guys, they're, 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 they're one of the good guys. Obviously, well, we, one of our big inspirations was the um, HP podcast, which um, we don't really intersect with apart because they do literature apart from we did um, Die Monster Die. Yeah. Um, I think we must listen to the Colour Out of Space podcast again. Anyway, that's a complete uh, segue. Uh, <laughs> but thank you, Darren. Was yeah. Darren, wasn't it? Thank that was, you. That was, that was, that was, uh, it's good to um, get feedback. Get feedback, even if Chris did have to spend several hours trawling the internet to find <laughs> reference to himself, which he obviously does fairly often. <laughs> <sighs> Busted. <laughs> anyway, there's one more piece of excitement, which is yep. the traditional piece of excitement of yep. the what are we going to cover next time? I think I'm going to make you say what this is we're going to cover next time. Next time, Paul has decided we're going to cover The Bride, the um, 80s Frankenstein, well, Br- Bride of Frankenstein remake, starring Sting as uh, Victor Frankenstein. Um, we haven't done a Frankenstein film yet, so I thought we'd go for one of the best. <laughs> I think this could work out as one of the best podcasts anyway, so very much looking forward to that, and uh, I, I hope that um, if we didn't annoy you, you'll come back, you'll like us more next time. There's going to be so many um, police song jokes from this, I'm sure. There might be some good ones. No. <laughs> Until next time. Oh, hang on. We we just want to tell people oh. if they want to contact us. Until How do they contact us? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, come up. You can find us on uh, Facebook by searching yep. for a very British horror. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter by um, tweeting us at at very Brit horror. Yeah. And we've got a blog. Some still haven't we? Uh, that's being updated, but we've got an email address. Which is a very British horror at gmail dot com. We read out emails, and we read out emails and tweets and uh, and Facebook messages, 
and obscure Dennis Wheatley related reviews on the internet. So if you've got any of those, or perhaps you've got obscure Robert Holmes website somewhere and want to do a review of, of this episode, then uh, feel free. Yes, all feedback gratefully received. Yeah. Um, and now I can say, until next time, I've been Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. Goodbye.